Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. This is season number three, episode number 15. Thanks for joining me today. My name is Dane Kramer, and I want to thank you for joining me on the Thinking Christian Podcast. If you'd like to know more about me or this podcast, just go to thethinkingchristian.us. That will take you to my website. There you can uh, listen to all previously released podcasts. You can find out more information about me. You can uh, read some articles that I've written over the past couple of years. And you can contact me from my website if you'd like to do that. So uh, that uh, website, thethinkingchristian.us, should give you all you need to know about the Thinking Christian Podcast. And while you're checking that out, don't forget to subscribe. You can do that right from the the website itself. You can uh, subscribe to any updates to the website. Just go to the homepage, put in your email address, your name, hit the subscribe button. Or you can go to Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Android. Uh, You can get the RSS feed right from the website and plug it into your favorite podcasting app. That way, when a new podcast is released, you will get a notification or it'll just download straight to your device. All right. Well, let's get into today's episode. Today's episode is, in my opinion, probably one of the more weightier episodes that I've uh, uh, that I've released. By that I mean, um, I, th- I don't know. To me, this is just more meaningful uh, than some of the other ones. I think some of the other ones were important, dealing with theological issues. But this is just something that's really on my heart right now, just just kind of heavy on my heart. And uh, so there's a number of things I want to talk about today. And, um, well, you know, kind of just, I, I don't, it's kind of, I'm, I'm struggling as to where to even begin with all this. You know, I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin with um, a reading from Scripture. From Revelation chapter 20, um, the first few verses, the first three verses, and then I'm going to jump down to verse 7 and part of uh, verse 8. This is Revelation chapter 20, verse 1. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He had laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And then down to verse 7. Now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations. I'll just stop right there. Now, I'm not going to talk about why I believe the things that I believe about this passage. Um, I am an all-millennialist. It's a hard word to say for me for some reason. And that's not the point of of this uh, today's podcast. But what I see here in Revelation chapter 20, and maybe another day we'll talk about why I see this, but um, Satan is bound. He's thrown in a bottomless pit for a thousand years. And I see that thousand years as the present church age. Uh, it's it's not uh, it's just a descriptive term. It's um, not a literal thousand years, but just throughout the, the church age, Satan is in a way bound. Uh, he was bound by Jesus by the work of the cross, I believe, and he is bound throughout the church age. But it says specifically what he is bound from, and that is to deceive the nations. And then we read that for a little while he's going to be released, and I believe that little while 
is prior to the return, the second return of Christ. And in verse 7, that the, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his, from his prison. And verse 8 tells us what he's going to do. He's going to go out and deceive the nations again. You see, that's what he had been doing. He had been restricted for a period of time in doing that. And then he's going to return to doing that. Now, let me start off by saying I'm not a prophet. I, I never claimed to be a prophet. I have no reason to believe that I'm a prophet, and I'm not prophesying here. I do wonder from time to time if uh, perhaps this is not being fulfilled right in front of us. I, I could be wrong, and I want you to know that. I could be wrong about this. I don't know. But uh, I want to talk about deception here today. And as I was thinking about it, this, this passage of Scripture called to my mind, and I had to wonder, and I'm wondering out loud for you right now, is it possible that what I'm going to talk about today is the releasing of Satan from the bottomless pit, his return to deceiving people? Because I, I believe right now there is a great deception going on. And it's tied to a, a re- recent blog post that I wrote this past week, or last week I should say, uh, you can find that on my website, and some of you probably know where I'm going to go with this, but I want to give some more history. I want to go back a little bit uh, before I talk about that anymore, uh, sort of the back to it, where it begins for me. Uh, back in uh, 1992, actually it was, just, it was November 17th, 1992, NBC had aired an episode of Dateline, and in that um, episode – they had they were alleging that General Motors had designed a line of trucks that could explode upon impact, and they demonstrated this on TV on this on this particular episode. They demonstrated this. They had they had this particular truck there. They had a car lined up to hit it, um, and they 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 filmed the whole thing and they broadcast the whole things in the whole thing in 1992. Uh, the car went down the track smashed into the side of the truck and instantly just blew up into flames, flames everywhere. And it was very, very um, convincing, it seemed, you know, that the, this this truck had a def- uh, defect to it in the way it was designed. However, there was a lot more to that story that soon came out. One of the firemen who were, was present on, on that date, and you can, you can Google this, you can look up this information, it's out there. One of the firemen who was watching, who had, was there, I guess, to put up, put up the fire, Leaked some information to GM, General Motors, about the whole experiment, because certainly General Motors looked very bad in this. And uh, General Motors, as a result of this leaked information, launched an investigation, a very detailed investigation. Matter of fact, what they did is they actually uh, tracked down by checking local scrapyards. They found the truck. They found the truck that was used in the experiment. And as a result of their very intensive investigation and interviewing sources, they learned that NBC had staged the explosion. Uh, they reviewed the video very, very carefully, and they saw that several frames before the impact, uh, the ignition started. And the results of their investigation uh, revealed that what they had done, what NBC had done, was they had rigged the truck with uh, some explosive de- devices, so, and they had also, they had used a, uh, a, a cap on the gas tank that was improper. It was not the right gas cap. They had used it. They had filled the tank up to almost overflowing uh, full of gasoline so that when the car hit the truck, they hit the explosive. The gas spewed out of the, out of the gas tank because the cap was not on very tight. And of course, it blew up. I mean, it caught fire. Uh, GM sued. NBC, 
and won, as well they should. And NBC later uh, admitted to it. They admitted to what they had done, and they quote-unquote apologized. In my opinion, it wasn't a great apology, but they apologized for what they had done. Um, I, I remember hearing the news of what NBC had done, and I was shocked. I mean, I was really shocked. And, you know, I was shocked because I trusted them. You know, I would assume that they would have ran this story correctly, that they would have, you know, that this was, I just assumed this was correct and this was a defect. And, and in fact, it wasn't. I mean, I don't know if there was a defect, but what they had done is they had rigged the, the whole experiment to make it look like that. And um, when it hit the news, and I do remember it hitting the news, again, I, I was shocked and, and, and hurt because trust had been broken. And it started something, I think, in my mind anyhow, that made me think, I don't know if I can believe everything I hear now, you know? Um, Aristotle, many centuries before 1992, there's something called the Dictum of Aristotle. And uh, one of his goes like this, The benefit of the doubt is to be given to the document itself, not arrogated by the critic to himself. And what he means by that is that when you have a written document, and in Aristotle's day, to write a document, to create some sort of written record, it was laborious, uh, it was hard, and it was expensive. And therefore, the assumption was no one would put down into writing, no one would go to the labor-intensive task of writing something down, of, of the expense of writing it down, without being careful about what they would write. And therefore, if someone is going to criticize something that's in writing, the benefit of the doubt should always be given to that which is written and not to the critic. And I think for a very, very long time, that was true. But not so much anymore. Uh, it's not hard. It's not laborious to write something anymore. It's certainly not expensive. And it's easy for someone to write pretty much anything they want to. And in the modern day era of social media, it's easy to get that out there. And to assume that the benefit of the doubt should go to what is written and not the critic just simply doesn't stand anymore. Let me fast forward you from 1992 um, a little bit later, well, probably, probably in the late 90s. Um, some of you may remember when email was bigger than it is now, um, I, I would get constantly emails. People would forward emails, just all, you know, you would get your inbox just full of emails that were being forwarded and circulated around. And one that just hit over and over and over again was why Jesus folded the napkin. I don't know if you remember that one or not, but the story goes something like this, that, that when Jesus, um, uh, when Jesus' disciples had entered the tomb after his resurrection, they found that the napkin uh, that had been wrapped around his head had been folded. And the story goes that when a master leaves the dinner table, he and if he folds his napkin, it means he's coming back. And if he crumples his napkin, that means he's not done yet, okay? Uh, or that means he is finished, I should say. He means he is finished. But if he folds it, it means he's coming back. And so this email that was circulated many, many times over, I think I got it three times a week from all of my friends, um, suggested, well, the reason why Jesus folded his napkin in the tomb is a sign to his disciples that he was coming back. Um, I remember when I read that for the first time, I thought, you know, I've been around Christianity for quite a few decades. I had never heard that to be true. 
and I, I seriously doubted it. And it was I, I took a, a serious look at it one day, and I realized that there's no good reason to believe that this story is true, even if it says something that's true. The story itself just didn't hold water, in my opinion. Um, for example, the word napkin uh, used by the King James uh, um, is not used by other modern translations. It's a burial cloth. It's not a table napkin. It never was a table napkin. It was a burial cloth. And so whoever made up this story just kind of took that word and capitalized on it. And, and who started that story? Who began it? I have no idea. And even though you know it wasn't necessarily harmful in itself, it was another lesson that there's just stuff out there. It's not true. You know, there's there's things being circulated that just aren't true. But the problem is people believe things that are written. People believe things that are being passed around. This is kind of scary sometimes, I think. You know, I've actually been, I've or led, I've led Bible studies. And when we're talking about the resurrection scene, someone would raise the, their hand and say, do you know why the napkin was folded? And of course, then they would launch into this story that they've read through email or picked it up somewhere. Uh, interesting, I wrote a blog on this quite a few years ago, and it's still one of the most read pay- papers, I should, whatever, articles on my website today. As a matter of fact, uh, most this most recent, I saw there was a spike in people reading that particular page, probably people trying to do research. And, and I'm glad because... I, I I think I raised some doubts about that whole story on that on that article, but again the point is that people write things, they circulate things, and other people believe those things, and I think this is starting to take us down a dark path. Another example of this going on a couple of years ago, uh, there was actually a police shooting of a, a black man. And um, there was some protests and so on and so uh, going on. And someone posted on their Facebook page a, um, a, sign, or a, per, a picture of a person carrying a protest sign. And I think this, this man who had been shot had actually, if I, if I recall, he was, he was actually um, taking something from a store or something. I don't, I don't recall the details any longer. But the, the picture that this person had posted on their Facebook was a it was a black man holding a protest sign, and the sign said something ridiculous. It said something like, I can't even steal without getting shot, or something ridiculous like that. And when I remember when I read it, I thought, that can't be right. No one would carry a sign like that. And what I did is I did a reverse Google image search on that sign, uh, a feature, that, a tool that Google allows you to do, and I found the original picture. And the original picture was something completely different than what was being posted and circulated on Facebook. Somebody was protesting. It had to do with that event, but the sign, and I don't remember what it was originally, but the sign was legitimate, and it was not at all what this person has post, posted on their Facebook. And I actually contacted that person and said, hey, you may want to take that down. That's, that's bogus. And the person did, and that was good. But the problem with that is people – through you know photoshopping they can take a picture they can alter it they can put it up and it's it's not right it's 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 a lie and what it does is it makes other people just kind of shake their head and and maybe sometimes become angry at what they're reading when in fact the whole thing is bogus it's a lie 
and the problem with this, I think, is it, it just goes to, to fan the flames of, of ignorance and, and bias, and it, it flans, fans the, the flames of prejudice and, and hatred, and it polarizes people, as if our country needs any more of that right now. Now, the most recent case in point is, again, something that has been circulated around on social media, Twitter, and also Facebook. There was a video uh, called Pandemic, I think, or something like that, uh, put out by a man um, by the name of Mickey Willis, uh, a self-proclaimed filmmaker. He's inter- interviewing Dr. Judy Mikovits. Uh, she is a researcher or I think a former researcher. I think she still is a doctor, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but in any event, this this video, someone had posted it, and I, I was intrigued, and so I clicked play, and I watched it. It was about 25 minutes long. Um, and i got to admit, it was like, it was powerful. It's like, oh my, holy smokes. If you don't know anything about the video, and basically what she says is that she has been targeted by the big pharmaceutical giants, um, and she names some names. I'm not even going to name those names here, but she names some names. that they, They've targeted her because of her research, because of what she has done, because of, of you know the, the clarion call that she is now sounding about different things. I think vaccinations is one of them, and about COVID-19, and so on and so forth. And as I point out to many people, there may be some things in her statement that were true. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a medical person, so I can't comment on the extent of that. But as I watched this video, I just there were some things that didn't ring clear to me. And in the beginning of the video, she talked about um, how she was arrested back in 2011. Now, when she talked about that, she, she said that she had been arrested and held uh, in a jail for five days without charges having been filed, without a warrant being issued for her. Now, this violation of due process is uh, an extreme accusation. I mean, her civil civil rights would be clearly violated had that ever occurred. And so I thought, well, now that is something I can check into. Uh, I mean, I've been an investigator now for almost 35 years, and it doesn't uh, research is something that you know, comes natural to me, something that I have at my fingertips, and this was just using public information. So I began to do some research, um, and I can try to put some links in the show notes of this um, this uh, podcast in case you want to follow up. But in short, what had happened in 2009, Dr. Mikovits had written a, a paper, or she at least helped, uh, took part of this paper that was uh, published, and, and it suggested that, the, that a very severe symptom uh, or syndrome called chronic fatigue syndrome may be related to a virus. Uh, of course, this would be revolutionary uh, in its treatment and also perhaps that it could even be contagious. So um, this was released in 2009. Of course, she became very... Uh, famous because of this. Uh, many people loved her because of this, because she was leading this study. But uh, within about two years, things began to break down um, and doubts began to surface regarding this discovery. Um, eventually, there were some articles written that other researchers were not able to replicate her findings. And so doubts began to surface. Initially, her employer, uh, this laboratory where she worked, which is the Whitmore Peterson Institute? Uh, they initially they stood beside her or behind her, I should say, and you know supported her. But eventually, I think under um, constant 
challenges, they, they also, in fact, eventually I think they retracted the paper from their website because uh, I think they realized uh, this just wasn't adding up any longer. And I'm not, I'm not condemning her. Maybe, maybe, you know, she was completely um, honest in her approach and, and that this was, uh, you know, an honest mistake perhaps. But, but eventually I think the, in the scientific community doesn't agree anymore that this is related to a virus. And, and all of that sort of doesn't matter. Or, or maybe it does. I don't know. Um, I don't know if that's linked to the events that followed. But soon after that, um, um, actually in September of 2011, and, and this is according to an affidavit, a signed affidavit from one of her subordinates, a guy by the name of Dr. Mac, Max Faust. He was a doctor working in a laboratory, a, a personal friend of hers, and he has a signed affidavit, which is available on their internet. You can see it, where um, apparently uh, some cell lines were mailed from Japan to Dr. Mikovitz. Or actually, no, they were mailed to Dr. Lombardi, an associate of hers, and she intercepted them. She didn't want him to have them, and I don't have no idea why and it doesn't matter to me but her employer said no no you have to give them uh to to dr lombardi and she refused to turn them over she simply refused to and as a result of her her attitude and her actions uh they fired her uh for insubordination i mean she wouldn't take direct orders so they fired her she became very angry according to dr foss affidavit she even claimed that uh, they were going to pay the employer this wpi this laboratory uh, she was going to get them back or something to that effect i can't remember but they would pay for for what they had done and she asked him to go into the laboratory and remove some notebooks and some other material which he did he took them out um he held them for a period of time and then on october 16th he gave them to her I, I don't know if he handed them to her personally, but in his affidavit, he said he gave them to her on October 16th. The laboratory realized the items were missing, um, and eventually the police were brought in. And um, because it was determined that she had taken these, or she was in possession of them, I should say, uh, a, a warrant for her arrest was issued because these were this information was uh, not hers. It didn't belong to her. It was belonged to the to the employer. And so she, uh, a warrant was uh, issued uh, for two charges, the possession of stolen property and the unlawful taking of computer data. Now, she was in California at the time. Uh, the Reno, uh, Nevada Police Department is the one who issued the warrant. And uh, so another PD in uh, Ventura, California, picked her up on the warrant and held her for five days in their, um, in their jail. Now, the, the interesting thing is, is in the video, Pandemic, she tells the a filmmaker that she was held uh, for five days without a charge, without a warrant. And this is simply untrue. There was a warrant issued for her. Um, and, uh, and initially, there, appear- there appears to have been some confusion as to where the warrant came from, but it was clearly from the um, University of Nevada uh, Reno Police Department. And that's where the warrant came out of. So uh, her claim that she was held without a charge, without a warrant, is simply false. There was a warrant. There were charges filed against her. And what's interesting is I did some research. She had hired uh, first attorney Lois Hart, and I think later she got an attorney by the name of Scott Freeman. And during the initial press releases of both Hart and Freeman, they were claiming that their client was innocent, and that's fine. Um, and But none of these or neither of these two attorneys ever claimed that – she was being held without a charge. Uh, now, any any um, criminal attorney, criminal defense attorney, 
who has a client in jail being held without a charge, being filed, without a warrant for their arrest, would be screaming about the violation of that client's civil rights. And yet, there is no record of either of these attorneys doing so. Matter of fact, I found a a video, a short, very short video uh, containing a very short uh, interview with uh, attorney Scott Freeman, and he very calmly describes his cl- his client is innocent. She understands the charges. I think is what he said, um, but he never said that the, there were no charges. Um, and so, I, once I found this information, I realized uh, very quickly that this is a lie. And what she's saying is is simply a lie. And what to make things even worse, in the video itself, uh, there's a scene as she's describing the arrest. The, the the filmmaker cuts to a scene, and there is a there is an active SWAT team moving into a house very quickly, as SWAT teams would. And you can t- see they're carrying automatic weaponry. Uh, there's a helicopter circling, circling overhead. You can see one SWAT officer carrying a battering ram to knock a door down. And she's describing the terror that her husband had for five days as she was in the hospital and demanding that this evidence be turned over. Uh, when I first saw it, I thought, wow, you know, that's, that's pretty – that's bad. You know, the SWAT team descending on this poor doctor's house. But – um what happened was, as I found some evidence that the arrest was made at twelve eighteen p.m. That's right after lunch, in the middle of the day, not at night. And this 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 SWAT scene took place late at night. You can see it's it's very dark outside. Um, incidentally, later after I issued my blog, uh, a reader thankfully found or posted to me the original videotape. Um, and in fact, I was correct. It was not. Uh, shot on the day of her arrest, but it was actually the video was shot on March 28th of, tw- of 2020. Um, the SWAT team was descending on a house in um, another town, and it was for to pick up a, a murder suspect of a 15-year-old boy. In other words, it had nothing to do with Dr. Mikovits. Nothing. And so not only is Dr. Mikovits lying about her arrest – but now we have the filmmaker involved as well, uh, providing false information or for certainly misleading information because, uh, you know, if he had put some blurb at the bottom of the screen saying, this is not Dr. Mikovits' arrest, the SWAT team had nothing to do with it, okay, then maybe he'd be more honest, but he wasn't. He certainly was trying to mislead his viewers into thinking that this was a, you know, a very violent, swift arrest of her, a violation of her civil rights, and yet none of that happened. Now, where am I going with all of this? You know, again, my, my blog is out there, and you, some of you already read it, and you're thinking, you know, why are you repeating all of this? I'm repeating all of this because this is just extremely concerning to me, very, that someone can not only write a blog or write a news article that's full of lies, but that they can create a video, a documentary. And get it out there. I mean, I think, I think it's been shared a million times that people have seen this video. Uh, and initially, all the chatter on Facebook was, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I believe this. This is awful. Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, conspiracy going on and so on and so forth. And, uh, it's, it's scary. It's scary because all of this is being fueled by misinformation. 
All of this is being fueled by deception, by obvious lies being told. And I'm not saying that she doesn't have some truth in what she has to say. Maybe she does. I'm not a medical person, so I can't comment on that. But it just really frightens me to know that it's so easy to tell a lie and for people to gobble it up, to repeat the lie to other people, to parade around with that lie, to act as if a lie is the truth. I started out this podcast with a a reading from Revelation chapter 20. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that Satan, before the return of Christ, is going to go back to his old duties of deceiving people. And I can't help but think that maybe that is what's going on. That for the past you know, couple of decades, we've just seen an increase of the the media's ability to fool people. Um, you know, for, for quite some time, it's hard for me to watch the news. I want to know what's going on around me, but I also know that the, the people, the broadcasters of the news, they can put a spin on it. Uh, they can tell, they can cover up some stories. They can share other stories. And there's no way for me to know what really is going on. I'm sort of at their mercy. And our minds can be formed by this kind of stuff. You know, our, our thoughts and attitudes can be formed by what we're hearing. And, and again, maybe what we're hearing is the truth, or maybe it's tainted some way. You know, and one new cat newscaster puts a spin on it this way, and another news might say, well, we don't, we don't have any spin on it. We're just going to tell you what, what it's going on. Yeah, maybe, and maybe not. To add to all of that is the stuff that's going on in social media, the, the pictures that are circulating, the videos that are out there, the fake news that's going on. And people are being misled, people are being lied to, but what makes it worse is they're repeating those lies. They're living like lies are true. If there's a better example of Satan misleading and deceiving people, I couldn't think of one. It seems like that's exactly what's going on. Now the problem with all of this is I don't have a solution to offer you. I don't. I don't know how to handle this. One of my first thoughts was I just wanted to get off social media. I thought, you know, end my Facebook account, close down my Twitter, and just get off social media altogether. But that's not going to stop it. Maybe it'll stop me from seeing it. But what about all the other people? You know, so I, one thing I thought, well, I'll make, I'll make a podcast. But, you know, my, my listenership out there is not that broad anyhow. So it's not that I'm going to affect that many people. But I think I still have to say what I have to say. And that is, I believe that there is a real war going on in the spiritual realm. And the war is over our minds. The war is over who can be deceived. And I think Satan right now is very active and and is very much attempting to convince us that wrong is really right. And right, ah, that's wrong. And if he can get us to do that, then we can become many enemies of each other. We can polarize from one group to another and, and point fingers at the other side and, and, and he's won the battle. He's won the war, if that's what we're doing. And that's scary. 
And, and I really, I really do see that as, as something that's taking place right now. That as these images, these news articles, these fake news articles really meant nothing to do than just to fan the, fan the flames to, to make things that are wrong appear right are, are out there for the sole purpose of making people angry, of making them take a side somewhere and fight the others. And I, you know, I, sometimes I wonder, we're probably not that far apart, those on the left and those on the right. My goodness, they might be just a, a breath, hair's breadth away from one another. But they're really a lot closer in their ideas. But what what's happened is they've been told, they've been taught, they've been shown with falsehood and negative pictures and so on and so forth that they're miles apart from one another. But I don't believe that's the case. In any event, what do we do about it? Well, I, I think it just starts with me. It starts with you. What are we going to believe? What are we going to accept as true? And I'll, I just want to caution you as you're out there to think twice when you see a picture of some protest going on and, and, and some sort of caption beneath it. Or think twice when you read some news article. I don't care if it comes from NBC News or whether it comes from you know some weird URL address that you've never heard before. Of course, be very leery of, of those those sites. But we have to think twice. We have to start using our head. This is the Thinking Christian podcast. I, I launched this podcast because I wanted to do thinking stuff. I wanted us to use our brains and not our emotions. I wanted us to process and to, to be able to think through the, the, the issues of life. And I can't imagine a more apt time than right now to really start thinking. Because I tell you, and I, I am serious about this, I believe there is a war for your mind there is a fight for your thinking processes. This last election, we heard so much of fake news. And I have no doubt that Russia certainly interfered by running fake news accounts on people's social medias. And people ate it up. They bought it. And they were able to influence an election because of that. That is scary. And the only thing that stands in the way of that is you and me. I think we need to prayerfully move forward with this. We have to cautiously think about what's coming at us, what we see in the news, what we, what we read about on, on Facebook, on Twitter, what links that we click on. And stop being so engaged by political thoughts and, and dogma, but and, and rather instead be fueled by one thing, and that is to seek the kingdom, because that's what we're all about anyways. Well, I'm going to end this podcast at this point. You can probably tell just by the tone of my voice that this is different, and it is. I'm just really kind of shook by what's happened here lately and the impact that this stuff has been making on people's lives. And I'm going to prayerfully consider what I need to do about it. And I would encourage you to do the same. And with that, I'm going to end this episode of the Thinking Christian Podcast. I hope to see you next time.